Welcome to episode 12 of the Invited Long podcast. Hello world, this is Juan. And this is Quentin. We're an international couple traveling around the world for love, work, and the pursuit of wonder. Through this podcast, we invite you to come along with us as we discover places near and far while treading lightly and not breaking the bank. After a dazzling week in the metropolis of Singapore, we are changing gears and making our way to a much smaller corner of the earth, Pulau Tiumen or Tiumen Island. This small island is situated in Malaysia, 30 kilometers off of its east coast, and it's a paradise for scuba diving. And that's exactly what we did there. So this week, we're doing a bit of a special episode where we will mostly be discussing how we got our scuba diving certifications and how much fun it was. Now, while we did enter a new country, Malaysia, we did not really interact with the local culture since we were mostly focused on our training in scuba diving. So we'll keep the explanations about the new country for the next episode. All you need to know for this episode is that the currency of Malaysia is the ringgit and one US dollars equals roughly 4.5 ringgit. Now it's time for itinerary and takeoff. And for once, no plane for us. From Singapore, we took the bus across a land border. If you remember, Singapore is at the southern tip of Malaysia. The crossing requires us to go through two immigration checkpoints, one to exit Singapore and one to enter Malaysia. You did have to take all of your bags with you when you crossed over these borders physically on foot, which is actually really surprising considering the fact that thousands of people have to do this every day to go to work. But the bus was easy and it cost us 240 ringgits, which is around $60, and dropped us off at the ferry terminal at Tenjung Gamuk. And after two hours of ferry for a price of 120 ringgits, or 30 US dollars, we were on the island of Tiamen. All that was left to do was to make our way to the other side of the island. So the ferry will take you to the west side and you've got to make your way to the east side. And this taxi actually costs 70 ringgits for a four-wheel drive experience. And that's about 15 US dollars, which is really steep as far as taxis go. But this one was driving on slopes that looked like you needed rock climbing equipment. So I think the money was well-deserved. Once on the island, we paid for two nights out of pocket at about 20 US dollars each night. And three nights were paid for as part of the scuba diving experience and package. Our scuba training cost us 580 USD total, which is 290 USD per person, which is actually much cheaper than average for doing a scuba diving course. All right, so we've made it to the right beach and now it's time to dive. So how does it work exactly for you to get your scuba diving certification? Well, first you have to pick a school and we picked the Juara Scuba Academy, which is located on Juara Beach on the east side of the island, as we mentioned. We also stayed at a beach shack right next door. That's what provides accommodation and they kind of work with the academy at the same time. Now, to get your certification, there are two main organizations in the world that provide those certifications. One is called SSI, the other one is called PADI. We went for the SSI. For the SSI training, this includes three days of training with the theory done in advance online through an app or website, a multiple choice test that you do at the beginning of your in-person training, 
a bit of a swimming test, very easy, we'll go into more detail about that, and four dives with an instructor. As you start doing your learning on the app, the first things you learn about is like the history of diving, how to recognize marine life, but there are two main important things that you learn. The first is how diving affects your body, which is not necessarily as much as expected. It's actually surprisingly easy for a human body to go under the water at a certain depth. The only problem is, of course, you can't breathe, but that's why you go with a scuba equipment. The other main problem you get is what we call the bends. So the bends is something that might happen to you if, as you go at the lower depth, some nitrogen gas that's contained in the air that you breathe essentially dissolves within the tissues of your body. And if you go back to the surface too quickly, those nitrogen molecules are not able to safely degas, so come back to the gas uh, form outside of your body. And if that happens, you can end up with nitrogen trapped in your body, and that's one known as the bends. So that's, of course, the thing you really want to avoid. The other thing you learn, of course, is how to use your diving equipment. It's very important to be very familiar and very confident in using every part of your diving equipment. But all in all, personally, I was actually surprised at how straightforward it was. It looks pretty complex, and especially if you've never dived like that was our case, uh, you see people having all this equipment, it looks very complex, but a basic principle is literally, you carry extra weight so you can sink to the ocean floor, and then you have a tank of air to breathe and to give you some buoyancy by, you know, adding a bit of air to your system. I should also mention that the specific level that we did for our certification, it's just the open water certification. So there are many different levels and many different specializations, and this is kind of the intro level basic one. So on the first day, we actually started off with the theory test. And this kind of caught me by surprise because, you know, in Patty, I think that is the last day you take this test. So I was sweating through this theory test, but I actually ended up with a perfect score and Quentin got a 48 out of 50. So we passed, no problem. Then we learned how to prep equipment for a dive, make sure that the tank is ready to go, how to connect the regulator, and set up the BCD, which stands for buoyancy control device. Then we went on a quick swim test, and that was pretty easy, even for Quentin, even though he was a little bit nervous about the swim test. I am a very, very bad swimmer. Every time I say that, people are like, oh, no, it's okay, I don't know how to swim either. No, 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 I'm worse than you are. <laughs> and yet I was able to do the swimming test. Yes, all good there. So that was our first day. The second day was actually doing our first dive. So during the swim test and such, we didn't actually put on any of the equipment. It was just seeing how we swim. And then the second day, we actually did a dive where we had to put everything on, check each other's gear. And then we went into the water to learn some critical skills that were part of the certification. And these included how to clear a mask of water, place the mask back onto your face if it by some chance falls off, Finding the regulator if that by some chance falls off your mouth, using the octopus or your emergency regulator, how to share air with someone who has run out of air and is your dive buddy. So that was a lot for our first dive. And then the second dive, we learned how to remove and replace the BCD, how to remove and replace the weight belt. 
because you have to wear extra weight on you as you're trying to sink to the bottom. How to remove cramps. So this is cramps in your leg or help a buddy remove their cramps. And then ascend while sharing air. Again, all of these things are part of the certification and you need to know how to do these skills and demonstrate to your instructor that you can do these skills in order to pass. Yeah, so as you might have noticed from the skills, essentially it doesn't require that much knowledge to actually do the diving itself. Once the equipment is set up properly, you just kind of float around and just kind of make your way through the water. Most of the skills are about knowing what to do if something wrong happens, or if you're unsure about what to do, like having a procedure to follow. And that's really what the skills are all about. On the third day, we went a bit further with a third dive, where we learn how to do an emergency ascent. So it's really, if you have a massive problem, how can you go back to the surface as quickly as possible by yourself and with a friend? We also learn how to use breathing to control the depth. The thing is, when you breathe in some air from your tank, your body expands slightly. You have a slightly larger volume with the air inside, and that actually allows you to have a bit more buoyancy, and you actually end up at a slightly shallower depth. And if you want to go a bit deeper, you're not supposed to hold your breath, but you can let go of some of the air, and that allows you to really control. If, there's, if you're close to the ocean floor and there's an obstacle, that's what you use. Now... We have to say that this third dive was a bit more chaotic, a bit more frustrating. The instructor, she's very, very competent. She done an amazing job most of the time, but this day she was very tired and a bit frustrated, and we were too. In general, the whole group was not meshing very well, so we had to kind of stop the uh, training a couple of times to really get our heads back in the game. But, you know, we ended up learning all the skills in the end. And with that, that brings us to the last dive, which was the fourth dive. And this time, all the previous dives were at about a depth of six meters deep. So it's about, what, uh, 18 feet for the Americans listening. For the fourth dive, we actually went down to about 18 meters deep, which is as deep as you're allowed to go with the open water certification. We also learned how to fall backwards from the boat, like you see in the movies. I was very excited we got to do that. And at 18 meters deep, you see absolutely incredible stuff on the ocean floor. And 18 meter, again, for the Americans, that's about 45 feet, I believe. So, of course, the main highlight of that is beyond learning everything we did during the, the scuba diving certification is everything that we saw underwater. We saw so many cool corals and fish. We saw some barracuda, we saw some batfish, which, unlike what the name says, they don't actually look like bats. They're more like just very big disc-shaped fish. We saw some giant clams. We saw a table coral, which this time the name is accurate. It's a coral that generally looks like a large table, etc., etc. There were so many cool, cool things that we saw. And after that, we were done. We had a certificate. We just needed a little passport, took a couple pictures, and we were good to go. And the fourth day, to sort of relax and go a bit away from the diving, we went snorkeling, which is still very much in the same ballpark. But this time we went towards Coral Island, which is a small island off the coast of Tioman Island, and we were able to see some amazing fish and coral again, just snorkeling around, including huge humphead parrotfish. Parrotfish are a family of fish that are pretty common in tropical waters, but the humphead parrotfish are particularly big. They're up to 1.5 meters long. That's about five feet long in uh, American units. 
So that's just a very striking thing to see. We're very happy to see that. We also found Nemo. I was excited about that. Oh, yeah, we did see. And we actually learned that there were several types of anemone fish. Is that how you pronounce it? Yes, anemone. Right, there's several types of anemone fish. It's not just the clownfish from Finding Nemo. There are others. They all look kind of similar, but there's actually a, a whole sort of bunch of subspecies. Okay, in terms of logistics and planning, I just want to talk about a couple of other things. So the island, it was actually kind of difficult to get food because the island only gets food delivered by cargo around once a week. So sometimes the stores or restaurants will not open because they've run out of supplies. And this is not clear on Google when you search their opening hours. So we walked to many shops on many days and things are just arbitrarily closed. Or we thought it was arbitrary and then we learned it was a shipping issue. There's also only one ATM on the entire island and most people have to be paid in cash. So I highly recommend when you get to the Tioman Island ferry, there's one main ferry terminal. There's a couple of smaller ones, but you'll land in a main one. Right next to it, you'll find an ATM machine and we recommend you take out as much cash as you think you'll need for the duration of your trip on the island. We actually had some difficulties trying to get some cash out of an ATM before we got to the island so that we could pay for the marine conservation fee before we entered even onto the ferry. And unfortunately, on mainland Malaysia, from our ferry terminal and all the nearby ATMs, there were no cash left in those ATMs or it did not work for Quentin. So we actually paid the marine conservation fee in US dollars at the ferry terminal. The man who was in charge was very nice. They don't typically get USDs, but we were kind of desperate because we had no Malay ringgits on us at the time. As a reminder, we came directly from Singapore and did not have any chance to take out money at ATMs or get cash exchanged. Otherwise, near Joara Beach, there is a lot of chill beach bars and restaurants on the beach if they're open, and they really just look straight out into the beach. You can also stay on many of these shack accommodations. That's exactly what they are, a shack on the beach. But it's a cute little structure. It has a bed. Some of them have AC. Some of them don't. And you open your shutters or you open the window and bam, you see the ocean. It's pretty cool. We also were super lucky and saw the release of over 80 baby turtles as part of a conservation program. So Joara Beach is a turtle nesting site. Right now is turtle season. So we were really lucky to see the tiny baby turtles try to make their way into the ocean and kind of cheering them on on the sidelines. And, you know, I had seen turtle release before in Indonesia, and those turtles got whacked around a lot more by the waves. And these turtles in Malaysia went right into the ocean, no problem. And they didn't do those like tragic flips and getting sent back by the tide. So that was really cool to see. Yeah, I really like the baby turtles as well. And it was very sweet in a way to see like the entire beach got wind of what was going on. And you had like 60 people that showed up to to see the baby turtles being released. Essentially, the other things that we can mention, and Juan already touched on that by mentioning the ATM, is that Tiananmen Island has very little infrastructure. There's only one ATM on the island. There's essentially one main road that everyone uses, and that's about it. All the other paths are sand paths or dirt paths. There's a lot of 
um, power outages. If you're looking for Wi-Fi, you're going to struggle to find it. In general, it is pretty limited in terms of what you can offer. And that's completely fine. It's not a bad thing in and of itself. It's just something that you have to know. We didn't necessarily know. We were expecting something similar to Kosomoyo Kota, where we had been a couple months ago. And no, Kosomoyo and Kota are much, much more developed and much more oriented towards tourism. Tioman Island is taking things a bit slower. Or rather, I want to preface, this may be a symptom of the post-pandemic recovery, and a lot of places are just not quite recovered. But also, we spent almost our entire time on Juara Beach. There are some other resorty areas on the island that we did not go to, and those may have different types of amenity availabilities. That's a very good point, yes. And another thing that I also have to mention is, yes, we saw so many cool fish, but that's not to say that all the cool animals are only in the water. Chiaman Island actually has a lot of monkeys, which are already pretty interesting to see and then just walk around. But most importantly, they also have a big population of flying foxes. Flying foxes, if you're not aware, are one of the largest, if not the largest, species of bat in the world. So they carry their name very well because they essentially are the size of a fox, except with wings. Uh, they're fruit bats, however. They only eat fruits and they are a bit scary at first, but really once you've seen them for, for a bit, they just chill in the tree, but it's quite a sight to behold. So needless to say, it was an eventful week. And now we can talk turbulence, the stuff that went a bit sideways. And for me, I have to mention the accommodation by the scuba diving school. Like I said, we stayed at a place called Beach Shack. And as the name indicates, they just offer you shacks. It was Spartan, to say the least. Essentially, you can imagine that the place you were staying in was just one small room. It did have a separate bathroom, which was what we call a wet shower. So it's literally, you have the toilet... In the shower, there's just one big room, and when you turn on the shower, it just sprays on the toilet as well. And within our room, we just had one bed, a mosquito net, and one fan. No AC whatsoever, which was pretty tough because it was quite warm uh, on Tioman Island, as you can imagine. Um, so it was very Spartan. We had a bit of a hard time adjusting, uh, and some of the places we stayed, the, the first night we stayed was not part of the school, and that's where we had a power outage, and that was also obviously very hard to deal with because with a power outage, no fan, no AC, it was very hot. And that would have been okay. You know, not necessarily the most pleasant accommodation, but we can deal with that. We can deal with a bit of rough. But here's the thing. There was another resort that's kind of sharing the same space. And in that other resort, there was a stage. And for some reason, there was one guy who was hired by the resort, we don't know the detail exactly, who was playing every night and singing extremely loud and extremely off-key. He was playing with an acoustic <laughs> guitar, and he had a friend with um, a cajon, uh, you know, like a percussive instrument. And they were just playing those very kind of grungy, I would say, songs. You know, clearly the guys have been inspired by Nirvana, stuff like that. But he was incredibly off-key, and it just so happened that the acoustics of the place meant that his voice was carrying all the way to our shack. And apparently it has been a problem in the past, and the shack we're staying at, the, the, the resort was sort of fighting with the other resort, because they're like, you guys don't hear that shitty music, but we do. And so that was really not enjoyable. And the only night 
where um, he stopped playing relatively early. That was, uh, I believe, the Wednesday night. That's where we learn that on Wednesdays, that's the day we burn trash on the island. You know, on this island, there's not really... There are some spots for recycling and there are some uh, bins out there, but a lot of people just burn their trash because, you know, they're on an island. Where else are they going to put it? And of course, that means a lot of smoke and a lot of smell of burning trash, which is not very pleasant. Uh, right up our nose, right up our shack, like the wind was carrying it just in where we were. So altogether, it was a tiny shack with no AC, a fan that was kind of working, but not crazy, smoke from burning trash in our faces, and a guy in the distance just singing as loud and off-key as he could. So needless <laughs> to say, we did not sleep very well. Yeah, I also think that some of this turbulence of the accommodation bled into my turbulence, which was I had a very bad third dive. So as all of my friends can attest, I am like the opposite of a morning person. I'm just not good before 10 a.m. <laughs> and before my like two cups of coffee, just not great. And this dive started, I think, at 8 was when we were supposed to meet up. And it was just not a good start. And it was not a good vibe. And it ended up with me really repetitively not being able to perform the ascent tasks that we needed to do. I was having a lot of trouble with my weight belt. My weight belt was initially placed and I did not tighten it enough, so it was kind of falling off my body. There was a lot of confusion underwater, and I was really trying not to panic and freak out. We completed all of the activities that we needed to do on our third dive for the certificate, but when I got out of the water, I actually had this like cry as we were debriefing. It was so sudden and uncontrollable because I think I was really scared underwater, and really trying to breathe and not panic and feeling bad that I could not work with my weight belt. And it was just a combination of a lot of bad stuff that ended up with everyone diving needed to basically recap and get a pep talk. So that was a little bit traumatic. I've worked through it, but even thinking about that dive, I'm still getting a little bit of heart palpitations. That aside, what about flying high? What were our favorite bits this week? For me, it was the feeling of accomplishment in the face of fear. Even before doing our scuba certification, I don't know, I read an article, this is catastrophizing of me, but I read an article a few years ago about certain people who, when they scuba dive, get this like panic underwater and they tear their masks off and they die. So I think ever since I read that article, I had this like mental block against scuba diving, but I really want to lean into something that I was actually kind of afraid of and just do it. And I did. And I'm so glad that I did because it enabled us to see really cool marine life and get up close and personal with the different coral, fish, and other marine life underwater. It's a whole different world under there, and you really get a lot more intimate and up close than snorkeling. Our fourth dive, so the afternoon of the day that I had to freak out, was actually fantastic, and I felt amazing. It was a line dive, so it was 18 meters, and there was a line dropped on an anchor or tied to a coral, something like that. And we 
rolled off the boat and followed this line to this depth. It was just so cool. As we were going deeper and deeper, it felt like we were floating in space. And I was really mesmerized by that whole experience. And I felt really safe and I felt really competent underwater that I was able to navigate, control my own buoyancy, not crash into anything or the ocean floor. And yeah, it was a really magical experience. I also had a really great time, both diving and snorkeling, just observing tons of blue spotted lagoon rays. They are everywhere on Tioman Island. And it was really cool to just see them chase each other around. There were like, at some point, maybe five or six of them all floating in the water. That's what they look like. They look like they're just gliding through air, but they're in the water chasing each other. And I had a good time. Yeah, I would agree. Altogether, even there were scary moments, it was absolutely worth it. And for me, my flying high is, of course, the diving as well. I think for me, it kind of turned out to be a bit the opposite because... I am notoriously afraid of heights. I've mentioned that many times before in this podcast. And so I thought that maybe, you know, diving and seeing the ocean floor below me would kind of trigger something. And actually, it did not at all. Because I think once you are a bit comfortable with your equipment and once you trust your equipment, you are really able to feel like, okay, I am in control. I know what I'm doing. I am not falling, except if I want to. You know, I am not going at a certain depth, except it is my choice to go at this depth. And of course, at first, you, you have to learn a bit how to manage the buoyancy, but after a while, it gets more or less natural. And because of that, I really felt that I was just floating. And I know it's silly to say, but it's a sensation of floating that I have never had before, except maybe that one time I did a wind tunnel, like sort of fake skydiving. It's indoor skydiving. You, you fly on top of a wind tunnel. Well, like you are falling, but because the, the air is pushing you, you're actually not moving. And I just love that feeling of having that control as to where you could go and just really moving in three dimensions all around you. You really feel like you are an alien surveying a planet from above. I thought it was absolutely amazing. I can really see why people get addicted to it because a lot of instructors are people that gave it a try and got completely into it and then just decided to not return home they just quit their job moved to the island and became an instructor i can see why now if i had to choose what my favorite site was of all that there were sort of two that i really liked the humphead parafish which i mentioned earlier while we were snorkeling we saw this gigantic fish and i was following another paired fish which was already pretty big maybe 60 or 70 centimeters long and then i turn around and i see this other parrot fish that's like twice as big and it was Really an incredible sight. Those creatures look like they're from 200 million years ago. It's incredible. And the other one I quite like is, is when we saw a peacock flounder. So the peacock flounder, it is a type of, it's one of those flat fishes. Fish, I'm not sure. It's one of those flat fish, which when it's a juvenile, has an eye on each side of the body, as one does. But as it goes into adulthood, one of the eyes travels to the other side weirdly enough, so that it ends up being a flat fish with both eyes on the same side. And instead of swimming, as you would expect a fish to do, it swims kind of like a ray, you know, on the ocean floor. But it's not a ray, it is a fish. And it was just such a bizarre sight, like completely alien creature. I've never seen anything that looks like that as an animal. 
And also it was incredibly well camouflaged. We only saw it because it was moving, but once it stopped moving, it was impossible to see, or almost, even if you knew it was there. And it's just seeing this like completely different type of life, you know, and uh, compared to like the animals I've seen before in my life was a really, really cool moment. Okay, that's all for us. We hope you enjoy this episode. And next week, we're off the island and exploring Malaysia in more detail. In the meantime, you know how it goes. We would love it if you could follow us on Instagram at invitealongpodcast. And you can also reach us by email at invitealong at gmail.com. So long for now. Bye-bye.